0: Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club. The show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian. I'm on the phone with Ashwin and today we are discussing Skinamarink from 2022. Directed and written by Kyle Edward Ball starring Lucas Paul, Dolly Rose, Ro- Ross Paul and Jamie Hill. In this film, two children awake in the night to find that their dad is missing and their house no longer obeys the rules of physics. Ashwin, I think this is what happens when a house is broken oh that explains it if you're new to the show we're just going to discuss some spoiler free info for the first 15 20 maybe 30 minutes of this episode and then once we play transition music we'll start spoiling the movie and walk through the plot but this week is a special week we're excited to be joined once again by acclaimed author Stephen markley steve's 2018 novel ohio was called a masterpiece by npr and his new novel oh god i can pronounce this the Deluge has been called a modern classic <laughs> by Stephen King, who called it more terrifying than The Stand. Steve was recently a guest on Late Night with Seth My- Seth Meyers, where he rubbed elbows with the likes of Tom Hanks. So it's only logical that his next stop is here with Ashwin and me on Horror Movie Club. Welcome to the show, Steve.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'll share this with your with your listeners. Uh, just before this, I had a big Hollywood meeting. You know, agents, managers, everyone's there. And I was like, I got a heart out at six because I'm going to be a guest on Horror Movie Club. So they respected it. They were like, you go. That's, that's,
0: <laughs> we to to let say. the man go. Yeah. <laughs> let him pass. Uh, so, Steve, when you joined us, <laughs> I have in my notes that you joined us a couple of years back. And then I realized as we started this call, it was four years ago. But when you joined us for Mystery all those years ago, you mentioned being obsessed with Stephen King in your youth. And since we had that conversation, Stephen King himself has said of your novel, Ohio, it blew me away. I couldn't put it down. You could almost call it the grapes of wrath of the opioid crisis. He also said of the deluge, this book is, simply put, a modern classic. If you read it, you'll never forget it. Prophetic, terrifying, uplifting. So how mind-blowing is it to have an author you admire, number one, even read your books, and number two, have such positive things to say about them?
1: Yeah, I mean, I still don't think I've fully uh, comprehended it, or or like I can like sit with it and and believe it. You know, um, if people go back and listen to that misery podcast, like, it. I'm not joking when I said like I read everything that guy wrote uh, from ages eleven to fourteen, and then continued obviously afterwards. Um, and he was just such a huge influence uh, on my life. Like, I he was one of the reasons I wanted to become a writer, um, and certainly. Uh, not just Stephen King, but the, the horror genre has had a big sort of uh, influence on my career. Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, look, if I could go back in time and tell like 12-year-old me what had just what's happened in 2023, first of all, there's a lot he wouldn't believe. Uh, but, you know, the Stephen King thing being the primary, primary one. You did what with a girl?
2: <laughs> 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 then he'd I get around to the
0: Stephen King thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep <laughs> um so yeah that you mentioned a horror's influence so the deluge and ohio are not horror fiction but they certainly have horrific elements to them some specific scenes in the deluge are absolutely the stuff of horror so when you approach those scenes are you inspired by any fiction or art specifically like even horror <coughs> or not or does it just come from like a more organic place of like where you are with the characters or a little bit of both?
1: Yeah, I think the latter for sure. Like I, I if you go into a writing project or, or a piece of art and your intention is, I mean, some horror is like this. Your intention is to gross out or freak out or make uncomfortable. I, I think you're putting the cart in front of the horse. It's, it's more like it has to arrive from an organic place in character and story, right? Um, but having said that, you know, I think one of the things I enjoy so much about the horror genre and what many people enjoy is that it really is like the most visceral type of, of film or book you can read. It really gets to you immediately and in, in, attempts to, right? Um, and successful horror movies leave you, uh, you know, kind of in this place where you can't stop thinking about them, where the images or the characters or the decisions people make like, sort of haunt you for the rest of your day and even into the week, right? I think that's... You know, thinking about all my favorite horror movies, it's something I can I can remember watching The Shining and being like, "Oh damn!" Like I can't get this image out of my head, uh, this lady rising from the bathwater. Uh, and so I I think what that does is it just sort of gives you a radar for what is the most effective way to get under people's skin.
0: Yeah, sure. Also, Brian.
1: Sense. I'm going to help you out, man. I say the deluge. I think that's like an easier uh, Ah, pronunciation. That's that's what I've said my whole (laughs) life.
0: But then I was like looking up this pronunciation and everyone else, like the dictionary says it's the deluge.
1: Well, listen, buddy, I like was pronouncing it the deluge in my head the entire 13 years I was working on it. And then the first time I turned it in, somebody was like, so, the deluge, and I was like, "Wait what? Is that?
0: So
1: <laughs> yeah. I, was I had the terrified. same thing. <laughs> I didn't know how to pronounce my own novel. Um, <laughs> well, but I think either pronunciation cool. can work, so
0: ok. well, I'm I'm swinging right back to the deluge then if you if you've given yeah. me permission. But, ok, like so speaking of that that image from the shining, you can't get out of your head. you so, in addition to being a novelist, you also write on the popular TV series only Mur- Murders in the Building. Selena Gomez, Martin Short, Steve Martin. So this is probably a dumb question, but like what are the differences and or challenges that really pop out to you when switching back and forth between screenwriting and being a novelist? Because you've got those images to work with in in the screenwriting, but in the novelist, the novel world, you've got to put the images in someone else's head.
1: Yeah, I mean, but I, I also trained as a novelist. So like this is what I've been working at my whole life. Um and so, to me, it's it's you're the dictator of this whole world. Like you decide everything, and every decision is yours. Uh, and so, the challenge for me in moving into screenwriting is, you know, you're working in a writer's room with uh, a bunch of other, you know, really brilliant, really talented people. Um, and everyone has great ideas, and you're just trying to mesh all those ideas. And and that's the challenge. It's like, it, it's like a group project um, that just sort of, you know, everybody's trying to give their best at and and do their input. Um. And it's sometimes successful, and sometimes you're just spinning in circles for uh, five days. So I think that's still something I'm working at or trying to get better at.
0: Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. I've got more questions, but I'm, I've been Bogart and you. Ashwin, do you have anything you want to ask, Steve?
2: Yeah, I mean, reading the, we decided it was the deluge. Is that what we're doing? I think it's delugie. <laughs> oh <Deluggy. laughs> so reading the deluge. Uh, yeah, obviously I, I get a lot of like uh, eco horror vibes, which I'm not sure is even a a genre or environmental uh, horror vibes. Um was that kind of like the intent or what was the inspiration for like that brand or that category of horror where it's like kind of environmental focused?
1: Well, I mean I don't categorize the daily as horror. Um I view it as a realist novel, just that just happens to be set in the near future. Um And my my aim in the the book was to write as compellingly and realistically about what the future of our society is going to look like as this climate crisis that's gone unchecked continues to metastasize and continues to affect our economy, our politics, uh, our weather, uh, and sort of our our culture, um, the way we relate to each other. And um, so I think that was the overall aim of the novel, and it was really a matter of you know, uh, I heard Stephen King once describe uh, Under the Dome, that, that his book Under the Dome, as like putting the fireflies in the jar and shaking the jar and seeing what they do. Mm. Um, and that's not exactly the project I undertook, but what I, w- I did want to do is write about this, you know, very real catastrophe and then look for characters to inhabit this world and, and figure out how they would react to all
2: of this. Sure. Yeah, like kind of. Uh, it's a really cool. way of storytelling and like, yeah, showing so many different angles. I, I don't know how you don't see it as horror. I, I find the whole thing like really scary. I, like I'm only maybe two or three hundred pages in, but it's pretty horrific. Like the future you're painting.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the the odd thing is it it doesn't belong in the horror genre, but it it, it should be scary. Um, and certainly, I've had no shortage of people uh, on my book tour or elsewhere relating that to me or or, or saying how you know deeply uneasy it made them feel um and that's that's obviously the intent although brian you finished it i think like once you get to the end of the book it's um you know it's not just like this catalog of unmitigated misery It, it does have a bigger purpose than that at least to me
0: for sure yeah i can vouch for that <laughs> I'm I'm gonna put that blurb on the back of my book I'm now. Ex- <laughs> <laughs> I can bounce for that, Brian. Some guy I can vouch for that. Some guy in a closet. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to ask so one thing Ashwin and I have talked about on the show before is like perspective from like the story, the perspective on the story being told. And we've talked about that when deciding if a movie's like a thriller or a horror movie. So Yeah. If it's the perspective of the woman in the hole, then it's a horror movie. If it's the perspective of the cop trying to find her, it's a thriller. You, in your book, each chapter is from the perspective of a different character. But on top of that, you've got each of them, like you have some of them in the third person, like Tony and Shane's chapters, Jackie's chapters are in the first person, and Keepers are in the second, and you know various other characters, is that a conscious choice about what you wanted the reader to feel when you read those chapters or was it to break things up so you knew who you're reading as simple as that? Like how did that happen?
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, without revealing too much of that spoil anything, the point of telling of each of those characters is really important to what is going on in the overall book and, and what's happening. And I, you really can't understand it until you get to basically the last couple of chapters um why all these stories are being told this way but on a more uh you know on a character level it was intimate to the characters like I sort of felt you know Ash and uh Jackie had to be in first person because I needed their voices whereas with with Tony there was this one step removed and with Keeper the use of second person is you know a really sort of dangerous tool that uh you know everybody warns you against like this can go really wrong but after i got a couple chapters in it just sort of had that feeling of um this is exactly how it has to be told uh and it gives it this odd intimacy especially when he's doing you know so sort of his worst
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense for keepers for keepers story An uh, odd
1: and uncomfortable intimacy is what i would how to put it yeah
0: sure yeah um me and my wife have been, like, ranking our favorite characters. This has been, like, the topic of conversation in our household for the past couple of weeks. because we Amazing. And it's been a wonderful start to the year because I have neglected reading a little bit in my life. And my wife as well. So we've just, like, sat down every night after the kids have gone to bed and, and we read this book. And if I get through something, like, really intense, I'm, like, looking over her page numbers to see when she gets there. Yeah. Uh, it's been fun. But, man, this is such a complex rich world that you've created so i've got to ask what yeah. the world building looks like on your end are they're just like binders on like a piece of legislation that barely is mentioned in the book and like <laughs> do you have like this detective wall with all this paper and thumbtacks and lines drawn from one yeah. page to the other
1: yeah the, <clears throat> the charlie day meme with the uh, exactly court court. yeah <laughs> exactly um yeah i mean look it was it took me 10 years for a reason to get a first draft done um you know i started at the same time as ohio and then i set it aside when it was about 40 percent done to finish ohio and then came back to it so i had this big break in the middle at which point it was almost nice because it gave me the opportunity to look at it objectively and sort of reconceive it all. Um, And a a lot of stuff changed in that once I started up again, you know, I cut certain things, I added uh, layers to it. But, you know, uh, I kept a running page of notes and eventually I put the, um, you know, like the the note cards on the corkboard just for every chapter so I could look at it uh, and sort of move things around if I needed to. But um, yeah, I I just mostly kept the rest of it in my head. Uh, And then at the end, like wrote out a timeline, wrote out sort of a geographical description of where everybody was, and you know there were a few mistakes I'd made, but for the most part it all it all sort of fit. Um, and I think that's uh, you know not any particular genius. It's more like when it's the singular focus of your life, and it's the project you've been working on for a decade, you you just kind of have everything floating in your head.
0: I still think it's very impressive, man. It it's awesome. It's really rewarding to read such Maybe. a. Uh, dense, not dense in a bad way, a rich book and complex, it just feels so organic and natural and so much more realistic that you've thought everything out and how the butterfly effect of every everyone's decisions. Um, Thank
1: you. Yeah, you know, I was, at, I was at a reading in Cincinnati and my mom had come down from Ohio, as, as you two are, uh, my mom had come down and she interrupted my reading to say, you know, he's making it sound very dense and sciencey, but it's actually quite a thriller. Uh, and she just sort of <laughs> took over the reading at that point, and uh, pretty soon people were asking her questions instead of me, so.
0: <laughs> nice. Uh, cool. Ash, you have any other questions before we start uh, getting into Skinamarink?
2: Yeah, uh, you think you'd ever write like a pure horror novel, or like do you already have a future project in mind for your next book?
1: I, I have a future project. I have a couple future projects in mind. I, I, I sold two books to Simon Schuster recently, so I, I have sort of my my life, my writing life set up for a while. Um, but it's it's always something that's been interesting to me. I think, I'm not sure if I'd want to spend the uh, the time on a horror novel because I'm not sure that's the, the, the way I'd attack it. But I've definitely had a few ideas for horror movies. And oh my God, someday if I could just write and, and get a horror movie made and then come on Horror Movie Club <laughs> to hear you guys give it like, you know, two out of three baseballs to the head that, you know, explode the head or whatever it is, I would be yeah. so uh, you know, honored.
0: That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's a baseball horror movie, Bruin, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I literally was looking at my baseball in my thing and I was like, ah, oh, this is going to be terrible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the horrific stuff in the book, both your books, you really excel at it. It's like intense to read. Well,
1: Let let me just uh, tap into that one more time, just real quickly, because I do feel like I've occasionally gotten the gratuitous label, which I I don't like. Um, I think the violence in my novels always reflects things that are going on in society um, and uses violence to illuminate those situations. And particularly with the deluge, sort of uh, connecting the violence we're doing to the planet or rather a small group of people are doing to a planet to the violence that will arise because of that. Uh, situation was was important to me um and so anyway i thought i'd just use this moment to exercise that part of uh my thinking
0: we've definitely talked about on the show how horror movies almost make us more empathetic and make you see the reality of the violence that's in the news every day and the true horror of it instead of just letting you shake it off brush it off or ignore it and i i think yeah i would not call your your uh books excessive with the the gore or the violence or anything i think it's just it's tragic and real and it is what it is you shouldn't shy away from it yeah
2: yeah really realistic
0: it's awesome um in a haunting horrible depressing way
2: <laughs> uh and, and i assume like you believe everything in the book then in terms of the degree of like uh, the threat the climate threat
1: Oh, no, it's fiction. I think it's liberal bullshit. We're oh, good. <laughs> no, uh, of, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the uh, the situation, uh, and this is one of the reasons I wrote the book, is so far gone and so totally out of control that in order to turn things around, one of the great dramas of human history is going to have to unfold. And so when I began the project in 2010, it was imagining you know, what kinds of people are going to rise to meet this challenge and you know, who, uh, what forces will will try to oppose them. Um, And and I guess like, I'll just use this quick moment not to run for Senator or anything, but to, you know, sort of implore your listeners to uh, start looking and thinking about what, uh, you know, they can do in their own lives. And that doesn't mean like eating fewer hamburgers or driving a Tesla or whatever. Uh, It's more like, what can we do as political actors in a democracy to change the situation? and I think one of the, uh, you know, sort of under covered aspects of this crisis, which really is that terrifying, is the opportunity uh, that lies ahead of, of changing our energy system and changing our agricultural system and working for a society and a planet that are healthier uh, and, and you know, have, a, you know, a more prosperous future ahead of us rather than just always thinking of it as what, you know, what can be taken away by by all this.
2: Makes a lot of sense. It's really cool to see that reflected in art, and yeah, I'm sure that there's gonna be a lot more books and movies on this topic in the coming years, hopefully.
0: Yeah, I guarantee anybody who finishes the book is gonna have some some strong or different or <laughs> increased motivation on some of the stuff Steve just said, so.
2: Yeah, sorry not to.
0: Yeah. Well, should we begin a discussion about a very odd experimental horror movie? <laughs>
2: yeah I, let's 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 let
1: your uh listeners finally uh get to the skin meringue, uh get out of this climate nonsense yeah.
0: yeah right someone's eating a hamburger wanting to just hear us talk and they're, they're pissed <laughs> off at least you gave us per- gave them permission to keep eating that
1: eat your hamburger yeah, yeah. uh
0: so yeah this is a, a very experimental horror movie and i think that's part of the reason there's so much buzz about it is just this is unique. It also leaked online after its premiere at a festival, so it had a bit of a Blair Witch effect going for it. I've heard it compared to that. Buzz has been building, leaked online, people are making TikToks about it and stuff like that. Um, It's also comparable to Blair Witch because the budget was 15 grand, so a micro budget here and a box office of 1.9 million, which is uh, not a lot of money, but an incredible rate of return. And the film was made using mostly barred equipment from a local film and video art society. Um, Steve, you got to see this in the theater, I assume. Ashwin and I watched it on Shutter. Was there anyone else in the theater, and how did that how did that go down? I've heard people like shouting at the screen, walking up, leaving, etc.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I mean, uh, it was it was a pretty full audience. I was actually, it was like a, a Monday in Portland, Oregon. I'd, I'd walked in the theater with a nine o'clock showing. And I, so I, I wasn't expecting anyone to be there, but it was a healthy house. Uh, I, nobody left, but I could feel the inkling of people to get up and walk out. <laughs> people were really
0: shifting around in their seats and stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Checking watches. Um, So yeah, Kyle Edward Bell ran a YouTube channel called Bite Size Nightmares where he shot and uploaded videos based on the nightmares of his YouTube commenters or nightmares of his own. Um, And a lot of this movie is kind of based on some of that stuff. A quote from him is, I had a nightmare when I was little. I was in my parents' house. My parents were missing and there was a monster and lots of people have shared this exact same dream. So that all is very much... A part of this movie baked into what we see here. Um, it's got a Rotten Tomato score of 70%, but a user score of 43%. Mm-hmm. So it's polarizing. I, I, I won't spoil anything before we get into the spoiler mode of the movie, but like it is a film where the subjects and the characters are barely in the frame, the camera is often pointed in places where you don't even quite know where it is and you're looking at almost like a blank, fuzzy screen. It, Steve, I mean, you've watched a lot of movies. Would you compare this to anything else you've seen?
1: Uh, you know, for me, <laughs> it really reminded me of uh, essentially Paranormal Activity 3. It's it's a demon in the house flick. Uh, so it reminded me of Paranormal Activity 3 on a budget. Uh, but yeah, I, I also at certain parts was sort of angrily Saying in my head, uh, we'll find this under the category of like found former film school project.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you seen many of David Lynch's movies?
1: I, I love David Lynch. Yeah, I have for sure.
0: Did this relate to any of his stuff for you? I've seen it called Lynchian.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I think the thing with David Lynch is that the the senselessness of what's happening on screen never bothers me. It's sort of like his his visuals are so arresting and so interesting that your your brain is searching for meaning underneath everything and I can't say I necessarily think that this film accomplished that.
0: Right. Right. Some of the visuals here are so deliberately I would think bland. Yeah. That it's hard to compare to that experience you just mentioned.
1: Yeah. David Lynch also, come on, like, he's a heavyweight, uh, like, you know, like, that's taking him, taking this poor Kyle Bell guy in the same breath as him, yeah, <laughs> I feel like it's a little, yeah. know like, give me know. a camcorder, Brian, I'll go around making a David Lynch
0: <laughs> You never know, man, I mean, there was this dude who crashed on my couch for like two or three months, and eventually Stephen King was mentioning his work. So.
1: <laughs> oh, you're gonna throw that in my face, aren't you? <laughs> If <laughs> we'll tell a story real quick, uh, at one point in my life, I didn't have a place to stay, so I slept on Brian and his roommate's couch for like, what, three months or something?
0: I can't I can't quite remember, but it was a, a fond memory in my life. It was nice to well, have. Well,
1: I do, I do still have an email from you that's basically like, hey, so after Christmas, uh, the Bessessi uh, couch is going to be closed for business. <laughs> uh, so, <you>
0: know. <laughs> like nice oh, oh, man, I don't remember
1: that. But. <laughs> uh, I'll dig it up for you, buddy. Yeah,
0: I guess it probably did come to that at some...
2: <laughs> This is in Chicago where it Ohio? was the push you needed. Oh.
1: It was. It was. I would never have gotten hit where I am without you. So. Um <laughs>
2: uh,
0: there's not a whole lot of background info on this movie, so I'm tempted to just kind of get into it. Ashwin, you have anything uh, you want to say about it before we rule?
2: Yeah, I think one thing uh is that it isn't it inspired from a short film that he did a few years ago called Heck. Uh and this is like a longer version of that, I believe, which I yeah, curious why that was felt necessary
0: yeah heck is essentially like a proof of concept and it's like 28 minutes so it's pretty impressive that he stretched out into i don't know like an mi- hour and 40 or whatever this was
2: yeah right 100 minutes or so uh that and then uh yeah i think what you said earlier and then and then steve uh, you were mentioning how a bunch of TikTokers live in your building in la uh <laughs> it's really cool to see this film and megan like relying so heavily or benefiting so much from like TikTok promotions uh and it kind of like seems like the new way of promoting films going forward uh, if you want a film to like get viral or get like taken up, you gotta do something creative on that platform. Kind of a non-traditional new channel. Yeah, is that exciting or depressing? Mixed. <laughs> I'm mixed because <laughs> I am still figuring out how to use TikTok. But what do you guys think? <laughs> yeah. I, I I think I'll never have TikTok. I think that's where I stop. <laughs> that's where you draw the line. Yeah, Steve, are you on there? It's
1: oh hell no. It's a it's a great place to get off the uh, the roller coaster of insanity. Is uh... <laughs> TikTok bullshit like
2: you know, nothing. Sna- Snapchat still falls under the line, we are still good on Snapchat.
1: No, I'm I'm down to just Instagram. I've purged uh, almost everything else from my life, which great a great fantastic move. I'm still happy about.
2: Yeah.
0: I've started 2023 very light on social media and I I feel a little bit like a new person, I got to admit. That's great. I'll
1: tell you when I quit Twitter in 2020, I could like notice after a few months notice the difference in my psychology. I, it was really bizarre.
0: I'm noticing it. Like my brain is different now. <laughs> like I can yeah. focus better. I'm just like
2: happier. It's kind of sad, actually. I don't even well, feel like I was on there that much, but I don't get it. Like, what do you guys do when you watch TV? Then you're not like sitting on your phone scrolling through Instagram. Like when You're watching like a <laughs> movie like this. I've been thanks to Steve. I've been reading.
0: Yeah, uh, barely watching TV. Nice.
1: Yeah, I guess like, I during this film I almost got onto TikTok.
2: So <laughs> yeah. I'm being too
1: mean. I didn't. I, I I liked it. it was, yeah. I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> I can't wait to hear you describe the plot of this. That's actually what I'm most looking forward
0: to. I was thinking that the whole time, and then I, I wrote out the plot walkthrough, and I'm like, eh, I guess there's something here, but we'll see. We'll we'll see how that goes. Um, I think I'm gonna hit the Ohio connection. Um, from another one of Steve's good friends, Alex. Alex connects every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio for us. He owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio, so swing by for a drink and some food. And Alex says, Skin is an experimental horror film written and directed by Kyle Edward Ball in his feature directorial debut. The film follows two children who wake up during the night to discover that they cannot find their father and objects in their house are disappearing. The inspiration for the film's title came from a song popularized by the music group Sharon Lois & Bram, a Canadian children's music group founded in 1978. During the 80s, the trio starred in The Elephant Show. Each 30-minute installment featured the trio, alongside a human-sized elephant puppet, and special guests including celebrities Jane Eastwood, Andrea Martin, Murray McLaughlin, and Canadian folk musician Sneezy Waters. From 1977 to 1990, Sneezy Waters assumed the role of Hank Williams in the runaway hit play, Hank Williams, The Show He Never Gave. The play portrays an imaginary concert that the legendary U.S. country singer might have given New Year's Eve 1952 had he not died en route. This concert would have taken place in Canton, Ohio. <laughs> 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 he really had to stretch. That's and God impressive. love him.
1: it's oh, amazing, Alex. Thank you
0: all right let's uh let's walk through the plot we're gonna spoil this movie um so if you haven't seen it you can duck out now do you guys mind if we take a quick break while i run and use the restroom though sounds good to me all right I'll, i'll be right back Hey guys, I'm back. Sorry that took so long, but I was sitting on the toilet and it just uh, disappeared right out from under <laughs> me.
2: So That created quite a mess. It took some time to clean up. When it disappeared, like, did it take all like the water and the fluids with it? Or? Everything else remained, just the toilet. <laughs> Alright, just wanted to be clear on that. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember
0: if I've told this anecdote on the show before, but in our old house in Asheville, they would do something to the sewer pipes, like I don't know, something with pressure and cleaning them out. And water would just shoot out of our toilets like a rocket. Oh, my God. And if you didn't have the lid closed, like everything would get soaked. And on one of those occasions, it happened. I'll just say it happened at the worst possible time. And I've never seen anything quite like this. And I I will leave it at that. Oh, my God. Damn. All right. Any, anybody else want to have a have a poop story they want to share? <laughs> I think I could top that one. That's
2: a good. One. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, listeners, it's important to note as I go through this plot. For those of you that have never seen it, we're almost never seeing a person in the frame. I'd say it's only about like half the time that we see any sort of subject or object in the frame. And when something is in frame, it's only partially there, like a person's feet or something. The camera is often pointed at its spots where the wall meets the ceiling and there's just weird angles and occasionally the screen is just an indeterminate patch of grainy blankness.
2: And um, and most but, of the time it's a still camera too, right? Most of the shots. Most, most of the funny. shots
0: there is some panning and you know we get a POV of the kids sometimes. So sometimes it is moving through the house in that in that case. Um but anyway, the film takes place in 1995. Two young kids who appear to have woken in the middle of the night. We eventually hear one of the kids start crying and the lights flick on, and it's later revealed via a phone call from the kid's dad to their mom, who is presumably out of town, that four-year-old Kevin was sleepwalking and fell and hit his head, but he didn't need stitches. He's okay. After this, Kevin and his six-year-old sister, Kaylee, wake up again in the night to find that their dad appears to be gone and that objects in the house are disappearing, most importantly, the doors and the windows. We hear them sleepily and puzzlingly discussing their circumstances in brief middle of the night whispers like, can we sleep downstairs tonight? Maybe dad went with mom and why is no one come yet? It's implied they try to call 911, but the phone doesn't work. And they post up by the TV in the family room watching cartoons from the 1930s. What? Where were your guys' minds at for this first? I mean, that's like 20 to 30 minutes of the movie, what I just said right there. <laughs> I was kind of like drifting off to sleep and struggling yeah. to keep my eyes open. I'm curious to see if you guys are in the same boat.
2: Yeah, I fell asleep twice on this one. I I, uh, I tried to watch it last night, <laughs> I fell asleep, then I tried to watch it this morning and I fell asleep again. I think it's the strobing uh, of the TV light or something that just kind of puts you to sleep here.
1: Yeah, I, I was, I, I have to admit, I was feeling some visceral anger uh, in the first like 35 to 40 minutes of this movie, only because we had talked about doing antlers and infinity pool. And I was just like, I would take any other movie than this right now. I can't believe this is the one I'm going to appear finally on horror movie club after five years for, uh, <laughs> so I, I, I had a vein in my head that was bulging a little bit, uh, by <laughs> minute. Oh, uh,
0: I'm sorry. I thought you, our, our other friend like texted you about it. I thought maybe you knew a little bit about it.
2: Yeah. I well, thought no, you were really I, I to
1: say, well, I, I said the first thirty-five minutes, so we'll get we'll get there. We'll get
2: okay. There. All right. Cool. Cool. Uh, I, I did think like the graininess of the the shot was really cool, and uh, the sound editing uh, and like how you hear their voices, uh, pretty effective. Uh, but yeah, it, kind of more frustrating than anything else. Yeah. Right.
0: It, it's difficult for this
2: first thirty minutes. Um, so, they.
0: I, I think Kaylee. Oh, they hear a mysterious noise. They follow it to another room, and they find a chair on the ceiling and Kaylee eventually hears a noise calling her to come upstairs where she finds her dad mysteriously sitting on the side of his bed. He creepily instructs her to look under the bed and she looks to find nothing there. When she looks back up, her dad is gone and her mom appears on the other side of the bed with her back to Kaylee. And she essentially just says like, we love you and Kevin very much. I need you to close your eyes. And she closes her eyes, wakes up and mom's gone. Uh, then we hear a voice say, "Someone's here," and her mom says, "Go back downstairs, okay." And then there's a scream. <laughs> there's a, like, it's so weird to make a plot walkthrough because just someone saying something is like a plot point that yeah that feels like it could be important. Um, so Kaylee goes back downstairs and asks Kevin to help her move a couch. I think it's to block off a hallway where they heard the noises. Kevin falls asleep. And when he wakes up, Kaylee is gone, and there are a bunch of toys stuck to the wall. We hear a voice beckon Kevin to the basement, and when he goes down there, he hears Kaylee's voice say, Kevin, I'm scared. I feel strange. And he finds Kaylee, but she's missing her eyes and mouth, and he runs back upstairs, breathing heavily. Uh, And a voice says to Kevin, I want to play, and tells him to put a knife in his eye, and Kevin does so. We see his body jolt backwards as he screams, and we see blood running down a piece of furniture. He calls 911, tells him he got cut with a knife and now he feels sick. Uh and he says, like you know, we hear the call with the operator. He tells them that he's four years old. They ask where he is in the house and he says, I'm downstairs, but the doors is gone. And he eventually drops the phone and the call ends. So how did you guys feel now once some things started to happen? Were you still kind of, you know, angry or and or falling asleep or what's this a bit more engaging? Steve, we'll start with you.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess at this point I was, you know, sort of wondering if, if this was a meta commentary on horror, you know, just do away with all characters and create a movie entirely built of tension and jump scares and creepy images as if, you know, that's all that matters to the genre. Um, so I, I think like my annoyance was alleviating at this point, uh, simply because, you know, it was like I was getting some spooky stuff. Finally, uh, certainly the put your knife and put the knife in your eye moment uh, did it for me. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think?
2: Uh, I, I think same. Like I, I was still kind of like waiting for like something to happen, but also kind of losing hope that something big was going to happen. I think that uh, scene with the parents uh, felt like, oh, cool, something's happening. But then after that, yeah. again, things dropped off until like, yeah, you're right, the knife in the eyes, like, oh, cool, something's happening again. Uh, otherwise, like, we're just spending so much time in corners or hearing the cartoon song or like seeing the TV on um, that it was kind of hard to tell what was going on in between here. Uh, what, what about you, Brian? Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Were you go ahead Sorry, I, was gonna, I was just gonna add that like there's an element to this movie that is so punishing for the viewer uh, in just how long it's making you wait for any nugget of, of plot or character um, and to some extent I think the director is trying to use that to build tension uh, so that when you you know you are surprised it like hits a little harder but uh, man like the balance is just so it's so tough in those first like 45 minutes mm.
0: Yeah, and I mean, even when things are happening, again, it's a unique experience to not actually necessarily be seeing it. You're mostly hearing what happens and just seeing things that may or may not make sense visually. I mean, you're always seeing the house. You're in the house, but I swear a good chunk of time is like where the walls meet the ceiling in any given room. (laughs) It's just like that's what we're looking at. Uh, so it is really strange, and yeah, the, uh, we're walking through the plot, but the movie is almost over. So much time is spent staring at a wall or
2: slowly panning across a wall. Um, hey, uh, even like, like those uh, plot points you mentioned, like did you guys catch those? Like the whole thing with the doors and windows not being there anymore. Like was that obvious from watching it, or like, I I didn't realize that or catch that.
0: Yeah, they show the doors. Uh, they show a window disappear. I think they show a door disappear. Is that but where- this is another like exercise in like how your brain processes things. It's yeah. difficult to identify those as even plot points, mm. or even as significant. Like, it's not really until the kid tells the 911 operator the doors is gone. Like, oh, yeah. okay, I guess they're trapped in the house.
2: That's what was going on. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Steve, did you grasp that? Like, as you saw the windows disappear, like, did you think that's going somewhere or were you just, like, trying to make sense of what was coming your way?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for the most part I was following what was happening. And I, I, I do think one of the elements of the movie that makes it both interesting and a bit annoying is that, again, at its core, it's actually not that different of a story. It is a demon in the house thing. And if this were filmed by, you know standard blumhouse you know director uh we would feel like we'd seen it 20 million times right so the the appeal of it is is purely in this micro budget sort of reimagining uh uh, of this story um and i think until basically the end of the movie i was really off board with this approach uh it just again the word i would use is just punishing uh, (laughs)
2: yeah that's fair and I feel like a lot of the the scares here meant like to be on the audio side, like the screams that would pop out here and there. Yeah. So I'm wondering like in the theater, like did that hit you at all?
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I think like there is something about a jump scare in a horror movie that is, it's just so simple. Uh, it, it's you know, it's like almost the easiest thing to do in a movie is to use sound and a startling image to like freak someone out in in the moment. Um, and yet, in Skinner a couple of them i was like oh that's pretty good that's pretty good uh yeah. so even even though i wasn't uh you know uh overall so impressed with the ability to make me like jolt up in my seat i was like oh well okay you did get me i grant yeah. you
0: that yeah what's your opinion on jump scares i mean you kind of just stated you know they're very simplistic a simple trick but are you against them or do you appreciate them when done well in general
1: Oh, very pro, very pro. Pro. Um, However, you know, I think like when it's a shitty movie and it's just a cheap tactic that's littered in and it's, you know, you you catch on to that and you're kind of like, all right, well, that was, you know, uh, uh, whatever. Um, And I think like one of the issues with this movie is that there is no conversation between the viewer and the characters. The entire conversation I was having was between me and the director and how either annoyed I was with him or happy I was with him for, like, whatever creepy thing he had just managed to pull off. Uh, so it's really, like, it's this weird thing where you're you're not in the world of the movie, almost. You're, like, in the world of, like, talking to this person who's making this film directly almost in your head.
2: Are you, like, saying, like, how dare you half the time?
1: Uh just, no, more, more like an aggrieved roll of the eyes, I think, oh, is, sure. the, <laughs> is that. But then also, like, giving him credit when it works. Uh, yeah. Especially in the latter half, so
2: sure brian you're a stickler for like character development like were, were you offended by all of this so far i mean yes and no i i think that it's
0: it's this weird juggling act at least in my mind of yeah there's a little bit of that going on like steve was saying with the director like what what's the choices what are you doing but then it's also like really immersive in a certain way mm-hmm. because you're just like forced to be engaged with it especially as things do start to happen yes they happen slowly yes you may not understand the significance of them or even know if there's significance at all to anything but it just once you have a few events to kind of ground you or or give the other blank moments some some tone or atmosphere or shape then it starts to become a little bit more intriguing um Once, once you know that things are going to happen, and you're not just going to be staring at a a space where the ceiling meets the wall forever, for sure. Um, But yeah, it's a it's a weird balance. It's very interesting.
2: Um, Yeah, unique.
0: Yeah. So, that nine one one call, the phone, I think, eventually turns into a toy phone, and Kevin asks asks the demon slash entity, "How did you do that?" And the entity responds, "I can do anything." Kaylee didn't do as she was told. She said she wanted her mom and dad, so I took her mouth away. And says, Kevin, come upstairs. And he goes upstairs, and Kevin's apparently walking on the ceiling. He enters a bedroom, and he seems to be getting impossibly far away from the bedroom door and entering a void. And he asks the entity, can I go back now? Every once in a while, we hear Kevin whimper. And then the next shot has the intertitle text on the screen that says 572 days. We see a long hallway with a bunch of Legos and toys on the ceiling. The Legos are really the star of the show. They get the most screen time of pretty much any object or subject. Uh, A figure briefly appears and then fades away. And there are photos on the wall of people missing eyes, mouths, heads, etc. We see blood splatter onto the floor and disappear and then reappear repeatedly. And then a face appears and tells Kevin to sleep. And Kevin asks, uh, what's your name? to this face uh kevin receives no response and the movie ends that's just it
1: i will say at that point in the theater everybody let out this kind of laugh that was like slightly nervous <laughs> and I, I say that as like a good thing it was like sort of this like release of tension that uh, the end of the movie had built um and i felt I, you know that's the way i felt when it ended i was kind of like oh i like that was a little creepy um, and and I think like the reaction of the moviegoers around me sort of pointed to that,
0: yeah. by the end, it is a little bit creepy. I, I feel like it captures something. like there's not only the you know, the plot that we walk through, but if you're the type of person that's just listening to this plot and isn't going to watch the movie, it captures something that's hard to describe. It's like this weird feeling between being awake and being asleep like it's it captures a feeling for me of like waking up in the night in the middle of a sleepover or something or if i fell asleep downstairs and i wake up and the tv's on and it's just a weird uncanny vibe and you can hear sounds in the house you normally don't hear before like that vibe as a kid was very well captured here i think have you guys seen the documentary the nightmare by any chance no i've 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 been on my radar but i've never watched it
1: yeah it's by the guy who did um room uh ship 237 the mm-hmm. Stephen king shining thing um but anyway the nightmare is about like sort of this like universal nightmare that occurs across cultures of like the, the the being in the room um and i used to have this nightmare i mean i still occasionally do uh but and so i think like what that movie this movie skin and rink does is capture the sensation of that where like you feel awake everything you're touching is tactile Everything like feels like it should be real, and yet it's all out of whack. I like. I thought the it, it does that effective job of giving you that dreamlike atmosphere. Um, mm. Does that make sense?
0: I agree. Yeah, I, agree. I totally agree. Do you feel that? Feel those vibes, Ash?
2: Yeah, for sure. It, it feels like a a young child like walking around a house at late at night, uh, somewhere between like being awake and asleep. Uh, so yeah, I thought the, the camera captures that well. Even like how the shadows play on on the screen and stuff. Uh, and the the way the darkness kind of moves on its own is uh, really, uh, yeah, it seems seems really familiar.
0: There was a scene where Kaylee, like, went upstairs for something and then comes back and Kevin's just like, where did you go? And it also just, like, he was awake that whole time, I think. It also just reminds me of this weird place my mind will go. Like, even as a kid, when I was watching TV, I didn't know, like, what was happening around me. Like, I remember my sister getting up And like going to barf in the bathroom, like right next to the TV, and then coming back, and then like five minutes later, I was like, "Wait, are you okay?" Like it just, (laughs) and I, there's just this this weird mind space that's somewhere between sleep and wake, even when you're awake. And this is like really honed in on it for me.
1: Um, Yeah, it it almost like touches, you know, and I think the best horror films always like manage to do this. It's not just like. Existential fear, not just a fear of your own death, but a fear that you're like going to spend eternity in this liminal space where nothing makes sense and everything is horrifying. (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah, it's like that event horizon kind of uh, a sensation. Right.
2: Are you saying that as like the viewer feeling that watching this film and feeling like this is going to go on forever (laughs) and there's like going to be no (laughs) answers?
1: Well, I was afraid that this was going to go on forever, but in a different way
2: at the beginning. Uh, <laughs>
0: this is just your life now? <laughs> yeah, that's
2: how exactly. I was feeling towards the end of this movie. Like, when's this going to end? just felt like it kept uh, going on. Uh, but no, I, I
1: did feel like I accomplished that goal towards the end of, of sort of um, leading the viewer into this, this very unsettling space uh, that is otherwise hard to sort of access.
0: You mentioned a word there, liminal. And I think this is like an emerging subgenre of horror, liminal horror, mostly emerging like on the internet. There's kind of memes about it, little short videos about it, just uncanny spaces yeah. uh, that don't kind of feel logical or they're really familiar spaces that are deserted. And you just feel like you're in this uncanny space or like a threshold between worlds, Um so if anyone's curious about that, you could probably just Google liminal horror. And there's a uh, a short film on YouTube, I think it's called The Back Rooms, uh, that's perfectly captures, I think, what we're talking about. It, somebody's in like an office hallway type setting, and it's just like infinite and a maze that makes no sense, and something's in there with them. And that's very much what the movie captures, too. Especially, it seems so pointless that the camera's pointed at these areas where wall meets ceiling for so much of the time or at the carpet or super close up on toys, but you can't quite, it's playing with your sense of space. Like, where are you? Like, you know, you're in this house, but you don't quite know where. And that, I think so many dreams are like that. We're like, I know I'm in a familiar place, but I can't quite seem to get my bearings.
1: Right. Well, I, I will say, though, Brian, the last time you guys uh, recommended a genre to me, it was New French Extremity. And then I ended up watching like Martyrs and Inside and just, you know, being in a place of like constant gore for fucking like a month. So <laughs> I, I'm just like not going to listen to you right away. every time.
0: <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, there is this. This is going to be. For Ohio listeners of a certain generation, and I don't know if either of you remember this, that I texted Alex about it and was like, do you know what I'm talking about? And he sent me a link to the YouTube right away. There was this local, like regional commercial for a place called Norton Furniture. And the guy who like did the commercial had this really like raspy, whispery voice. And it only came on late at night, I assume, because they paid had to pay less for those spots. And I just have so many memories of like waking up at like two or three in the morning with the TV on. And this guy's like talking and it's like, hey, come on down. To, and you're just like, what the fuck? And I'm just curious if either of you has any idea what I'm talking about.
1: No. <laughs> now, that must be your liminal space,
0: Brian. <laughs> I, yeah, it essentially was. I, I would encourage anybody to YouTube Norton Furniture Frog. Wait, Norton Furniture Frog on the couch. And it it'll take you to this commercial and then like all of the comments are like, Oh my god, I woke up to this commercial so many times and was so terrified. <laughs> like a lot of people yeah. in Northeast Ohio have this experience. It's not just me. Okay. <laughs> it's a whole generation. Um, but the vibe of waking up to those commercials is really captured in this movie. And I I feel like it's weird because I was bored, you know, and it's weird. It's a weird viewing experience, but at the same time, I don't know how else you would capture that vibe so successfully,
1: yeah. I mean, I'm not sure i've I, I can't I was trying to think about this. I can't remember the last time I had a turnaround this drastic during the course of a movie. Like I think like I've had movies where I thought about it afterwards or whatever, but like I'm talking in the middle of the movie, turning around on it., um, you know, in that first like thirty minutes. I was honestly already coming up with rating systems like, so Steve, how many overlong shots of an electrical socket do you give this? Uh, Well, Ashman, I give it negative seven overlong shots of an electrical socket. Like that was, I was just running these rating systems through my head to entertain myself. Um, But then, you know, I was walking back to my hotel through the streets of like cold, dark downtown Portland I was like, oh, fuck, the Skidmerick's going to get me. (laughs) Like, it was like, I was like viscerally feeling it. Uh, And so I just think there is really something to what the movie performs, um, even if I didn't really enjoy half of it.
2: Yeah. Could it be that maybe it's like not obviously like a greater, stronger, unique story, but like the vibe of it is something like unique and that that's like what sticks with audiences you leave after seeing this?
0: Yeah, and I think not easy to not easy to repeat or not easy to copy. Like mm. it's very much its own thing. And I think in many ways even though it, it's lacking in in many aspects, I think it's quite an achievement in a lot of ways too because like so much of like the language of cinema has been stripped away here, like how we know where we are in a place, how we know where we are in a time editing techniques just like the structure of movies is just out the window yes so in a way it's kind of an accomplishment that we even know at all like a little bit of what's going on like he has to rely on other things like okay the TV's louder right now so i know they're close to the family room okay the tv got really quiet so maybe they're on a different floor of the house there's just a whole other set of rules for this movie that you kind of have to adjust your brain to and like we were talking earlier you don't even know something you're seeing is important Mm. or happened or is going to be played in reverse in a minute so it's just a really weird exercise for your brain and i think it's kind of impressive that he was even able to leave you on this journey and have it be at all decipherable even though it is largely indecipherable Mm -hmm. purposefully so
2: yeah, I mean, uh, that that's interesting, because if, if you take out all those things that make a movie a movie, um, it, watching this really felt like you're watching like an art installation, maybe like a, a series of yeah. like, short clips of like visuals. So like, couldn't that have been it? Like, wh- why does this have to be a movie? Or like, does it should it even qualify as a movie? If you don't have like, a strong <laughs> narrative or anything.
1: Yeah, I, you know, there's a at some point when I was beginning to enjoy it, I was reflecting on the first 30 minutes and in some way, uh, you know, I think that is a missed opportunity. Like probably what the director would think is is something to the effect of like, well, I want to unsettle people, get them out of their their like Brian was saying, like their comfort zone or what they're expecting to see from a from a film of any kind. Um, but I also think it's a missed opportunity too, because there are ways in which you could have used similar techniques to draw out characterization and to create a more wholly realized world. And I think that for me was was what was missing in the movie event at the end of it, even though I did turn out to, uh, uh, you know, sort of quite enjoy it. Um, was it left this this huge opportunity on the ground, like just on the floor of, uh, you know, like teaching us about this world in a- so that the, the core of the movie doesn't turn out to just be demon in the house, um, that it isn't that underwhelming eventuality, uh, if that makes any sense.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, you know, I actually had a question, and maybe this is a hot take. A part of me ended up analyzing the movie after it was over, feeling like the demon in the house thing almost was maybe a bit of a cop-out to like be like, okay, well, something has to go on here. It has to have some sort of structure similar to a horror movie. Uh, it has to be a horror movie. And so then I thought, like, oh, like a demon in the house that takes your sister's mouth And it's like telling you to do bad things to yourself. Is that just a cliche in a movie that's otherwise pointing you towards something that's really unique and unusual in movies? Like, is it cheap to even bother to put it in there? Or is it just absolutely necessary? Otherwise, you'd be grasping in the dark and grasping at straws and not know what to make. And we'd feel at the end of the movie like we felt 30 minutes in where we can't keep our eyes open and don't know what's what like do you feel that that backbone was necessary
1: well isn't that that's the sort of the the problem with with any time you're stepping outside of uh sort of what we generally consider the conventions of of film right it's like if you make it to art house it's totally inaccessible right uh and so in in order to get the art house film to succeed on a commercial level you have to introduce the uh, at its core it's a you know paranormal activity three it's a demon in the house type thing. and we just won't build in any backstory we won't have any characters reflecting on how the demon got there it's just going to be there um and i think like that that choice that he has to make uh he sort of straddled the line and you know it's it's i thought deeply pleasurable in some ways and a little underwhelming in others
0: yeah Mm. do you guys think it really happened ashwin i know you get into these type of theories like i thought maybe it could have just been the kid fell hit his head went to sleep again and had a really weird dream because of hitting his head
2: yeah i i like i feel like they purposely kind of laid that ground or like that ambiguity uh with that at the beginning like you don't know if this is all just like a nightmare with that kid um potentially uh something about do you guys reading any uh interpretations where this might have been something about like an abusive household potentially
0: Oh no, I didn't read anything like that.
2: Expand on oh. that. Um, I think that was the gist of it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but <laughs> basically, like it's it, these parents are like missing, and uh, this demon. Like, if you think about what it's saying to the kid, it's like, uh, "I'm, I'm going to protect you. Come up here. Uh, I can do you know, all these things." So this kid trying to find comfort in like some kind of creature that's in the house. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure what all the theories are, but yeah, de- definitely wondered if this was all in someone's head or not.
1: Yeah, that's possible. I, I Maybe it's uh, because I, I write so directly about topics. It's like sometimes if you leave something open-ended enough, it allows the Internet to just jerk off a bunch about it. Uh, and that's like kind of its own win for certain people, for certain creators of things. I think like if that were the case and it had something to say about actual like childhood trauma, it could have done so in a, in a much more interesting way. Than, yeah, you know. for sure. Yeah, I agree. Sorry, I'm can sure you accuse you people on people. the internet of jerking off without getting in trouble? I'm not sure. Is that we can still do that, right?
0: <laughs> I'm sure that nobody on the internet jerks off at all. Yeah, that stopped in the '90s. So you might be sued. <laughs> that
1: stopped in the '90s. <laughs>
0: um, they were just waiting too long for those porn yeah, prints to print exactly. off their printer, and they gave up. <laughs> the society as a whole gave up on masturbation. Yeah. Um. So you could you could look at that theory, Ashman, and say, like, oh, like, that took her mouth away. Like, it took her voice away or, right. you know. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. And I, I imagine that might even be, like, kind of uncomfortable for the director to hear because this was shot in his childhood home. And it's essentially, it's like, I feel like I heard him say this is essentially about, like, a movie about me and my sister waking up in the middle of the night not knowing what's going on. Sure. Um, yeah. And I actually felt like a lot of their, the dialogue there was really haunting. And I do think part of me was like, oh, it feels cheap just because it's like a so demon in the house when this could have been so much more. But I do think it's kind of necessary. Some of the scariest things to me were just like the kids saying, like, when's somebody going to come? Or like, I got you a juice. Or where were you? Or, do you think mom went with dad? Or... It's just them trying to figure it out. It's just unsettling to me. Um, Is it because
2: of like the words they're saying or like the way they produced the audio?
0: The, both, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And because I have kids who are five and three, incidentally, they were sick today, and Kelly and I still had to work, so we basically stuck them in front of the TV all day. So they were like sitting in front of a flickering screen, saying similar things to each other. Like, <laughs> did yeah. like is Daddy coming back, Grammy? Or, like, where'd Daddy go? Like, <laughs> you know, I'm in my office. I mean, that was less terrifying for them, but it was just weird after after seeing this movie. Like, the two of them trying to solve their own problems together. It's something. There's something haunting about it, I think, not only because you might remember that as a kid, but just because I think there is... A deep unsettling fear to that when you're their age like sometimes they'll get freaked out about the weirdest things like are you guys gonna leave without me like dude we've never once did that (laughs) why would you ever think that would happen but that you rely so wholly on the structure of your household to operate a certain way that like the thought that it might not is utterly terrifying But at the same time, so often kids don't really know what's going on, so they just have to like ask each other these puzzled questions. It's it really taps into something that is unsettling to me.
2: Did you did you guys? I mean, since we see so little of the kids and like we hear like those small sound bits from them, did you feel like the sense of fear from them? Uh, Do you think that was effectively shown?
1: Well, I think that goes. Sort of to my, not not complaint, but sort of like why the movie leaves you so cold for that first part is because you have no access to any real human emotive structure. Like you're you're trying to grasp what's happening with these kids, but you're not really able to like lock in with them. Um, and I'm not saying the answer is like, oh, film the kids in their faces and like have their bad acting and all that. Yeah. Uh, but I just think there could have been, the director could have utilized other techniques to at least draw the viewer into feeling like you're
2: in it with them. Does that make sense? Right. I think so. I think that was kind of missing for me. Uh, What about you, Brian? Yeah, I, I, I think that would have made it a lot
0: easier to get on board with the movie sooner. But I also felt like it may have been dishonest to that sensation of being in a dream of like, maybe this makes sense and is how the world works now that the toilet disappears. But I'm not quite sure anymore. Like, I don't remember how this should all work so i feel like if the kids were terrified you don't get that same vibe
1: but not i'm go ahead T. sorry i just meant not terrified not seeing their them feel like be afraid but just um accessing their characters sure uh, a little better like i gotcha. you know i think like that's like the disconnect between who even are these people who are these children? Why are we on this journey with them? That is and not necessarily what I meant by, you know, we have to we have to see them. We don't like the technique could stand. Uh, but I feel like the distance was still pretty tough to overcome.
0: Like, you yeah, think there was a way to connect with the characters better. Well, sticking yeah, to I the mean, authentic approach of what he's doing.
1: You'd have to hire the big guns like Steve Markley. Uh, and my, my fee <laughs> is going up rapidly. <laughs> Can't afford me anymore, but no, I was, I was like, as a writer, I was just cycling through like ideas for how to get those care, like those character moments into something so abstract. If that makes any sense, sure,
0: right. right. Not to put you on the spot, but do any like ideas that cycle through your head come to mind?
1: Yeah, I got notes. I got lots of notes. Yeah. Uh, no, I no, I you know, I was just thinking of ways in which like, given the. uh you know, they're building these Lego sets, right? But the Lego sets are all impersonal. So finding a way to understand character through the way they're utilizing their toys is just one like quick example. Like just finding a way to understand what Keely and Kevin are the two kids' names. Yeah. Finding a way so that the viewer like actually identifies with each individual through these abstract things rather than just being left alone with, a you know, an electrical socket or a corner. Of, yeah. uh, of the wall i'm being super prescriptive here i don't mean to be but it was just something that kept occurring to me
0: no that's i asked sense. you to be and yeah that's really interesting now that's uh that totally could have worked and and still upheld the integrity of like what the movie was trying to accomplish what he was yeah. trying to
1: do yeah yeah uh
2: what's your guys interpretation of the ending uh, is kevin was he scared and did something happen to him or is, is he dead
0: I just think it's a never—it's a dream that he's in, and uh, but then five ha, having 572 days on the screen is interesting because it's like, did Kevin see that in his dream that it's been 572 <laughs> days, or I don't know, maybe he really yeah. is in some sort of void or ethereal place, um, where I think if he's harmed, it doesn't really matter. He's just he will exist here forever. Is that how you interpret it, Steve? Do you think he's like in a void, weird place? That
1: was, yeah, I I agree with you. That's exactly what I was getting out of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a bummer. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. The same Lego set. (laughs) And
1: stuff
2: disappearing every day. He's not going to have any toys left. Um. Oh, what? I thought the uh, the cartoons were really creepy. And I feel like that was like the whole soundtrack was just like the music and the noises from that uh, TV, uh, which is pretty effective. Like those old cartoons, you forget how like haunting and scary some of those were. It was cool to see those brought up.
1: Eh, I fell slightly on the other side of that. I feel like that's become such a not just a, a horror trope, but like an all movie trope. Like you mm. always probably because it's like free. You can just use it. Uh, yeah. But where, like, it's why every time I'm watching a movie and I see like
2: old cartoons, I'm like, who the fuck is watching old cartoons yeah. anymore? Like, <laughs> That's what <laughs> they, this is like 1995. Why would they be watching that, right? It's like cartoon it's like, films. No, Yeah, I, I have
1: never walked into anyone's house and see any children watching old cartoons uh, on the television.
2: <laughs> yeah, that part was hard to believe. Uh, yeah, I mean, those yeah. were old, those
1: were from the 1930s. Yeah. And what about the right. part where, like, it was pausing and then going again and pausing and rewind. And I was just, that was one of those moments I was like, all right, like, should I get more popcorn? Should I pee even though I don't have to like that kind of stuff? (laughs) Any excuse to get out of here? Yeah. I hear that criticism,
0: but it also worked. I mean, I think it just reminded me so often of the, yeah, waking up in the night. I often feel like it's sleepovers. Everyone else slept like a rock and I had, Trouble sleeping, so I have many memories of just being awake in the night, either in my house or somebody else's, and just being like, Wow, I'm I feel very uneasy. And the TV's always on, and nobody's been controlling the channel for the last three hours, so God knows what's on. And I don't know, I I thought that captured that vibe really well. Although I hear you, it's almost a bit of a cliche,
1: um, and it's in the public domain, yeah, public domain. And I just like, I'm not sure what else you you use to fill an actual soundtrack to that movie like yeah. you sort of need something odd audi- you know audio happening uh or it's going to be really really <laughs> yeah you know sort of lifeless okay. so
0: right hey. and it also yeah i do think it, the sound provides a spatial reference to where they are in the house too so i think you gotta have some sound coming from the tv right yeah i, I do think they were eerie though um well, anything else? Should I go to the rating?
1: I can't wait to hear what the rating is. So that's like why I wanted to be on the show, was to hear the rating.
0: So. Oh, man, it's so boring now. You hyped it up so much. <laughs> it was just zero to five Legos on the ceiling.
1: Oh, I feel like you mm. should have come up with a better one for my guest appearance, Brian. That's, I wow. probably should. There's a lot of things I could have done
0: differently here. With <laughs> I don't mean just the show, but the last 39 years. <laughs> just in general <laughs> uh, yeah boy I don't know what I got I don't have a good one you got one Steve
1: no my, I I use my joke over long <laughs> shots of an electrical socket over, yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> let's use that zero to five over long shots of an electrical socket
1: uh, Ashwin, you go
2: first uh, okay well uh, at first I was going to say NA because I don't think this counts as a film and it was- <laughs> 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 but I hear what you guys are saying, and in reading about it, yeah, I guess there was a plot in there. So uh, I eventually landed on uh, two uh, over long shots of a what electric outlet?
1: Electrical <laughs> socket, yeah. Oh, right.
2: Electrical socket, yeah. Uh, two two of those out of five, because uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you guys. It's very unsettling to watch, and they captured that whole uh, feeling very well of like being a child having a nightmare in at nighttime. It's like something that I think a lot of us can relate to and follows you after this film but uh yeah it was just way too many shots of nothing going on and uh very slow and uh no character work that could have been done so yeah two for me what about you steve
1: yeah like i said i can't remember having to turn around this hard in the middle of a movie um so i think i eventually landed on i I moved from negative seven to three and a half overlong shots of an electrical socket Nice. nice I I, th- I think horror fans will enjoy this, and I think there's interesting stuff going on, despite uh, some some flaws.
0: Yeah, that you know it's interesting. so interesting. We said like the staring at nothing. I don't think we've described specifically what the nothing can look like. Sometimes, like the film is so grainy that it yeah. looks like you're watching like an ocean of of like particles moving. It's just like you're like looking at visual fuzz for a lot of the movie.
2: I think yeah. they accomplished that, like, using some kind of uh, light or tool, right? Behind the scenes. Did they? Yeah. I forget what it was called, like, a light gun or something in the dark. And that's how they made, like, the darkness move around to a swirl.
1: Oh, interesting. Basically, it looks like a bad home video, right? Like, yeah. that's
2: kind of the effect, yeah.
1: It,
0: Essentially, right, yeah. It and you can like almost like hear, it. like, the, the hiss pop of, like, a, a record or something. The audio is mm-hmm. bad, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I give it three out of five overly long shots of an electrical socket. I, I had a turnaround, too. I, the first 30 minutes or so, I was just like, oh, boy. I, and I knew going into it that this was going to be an experimental movie, so my expectations were set. But by the end, I just felt like it did something special, and it it stuck with me. I thought about it for a while after it was over. Uh, and, yeah, I really like awakened something, some feeling in me that I kind of forgot. Even now, just the feeling of like, you know the kids with young kids were up a lot in the night. Even now, just like the feeling of walking through your dark house at like three in the morning and stumbling around trying to figure something out—it just like it taps into that in a way I've I've never seen another movie do. But at the same time, it's hard to give it like a four or a five because it is yeah.
1: so
0: so yeah. utterly dull for so much of the runtime.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You guys are yeah surprisingly positive on this. I'm impressed. You know, you're <sighs> na though. I
0: know it's a joke, <laughs> but it's hard to rate something like this. It, I mean it really is it's, like a yeah like visual art, you know. It, it's, yeah. It's like something you'd see on a TV mounted on a wall on one like specific room of an art museum. Like
2: <laughs> exactly. It's like yeah. this is the <laughs> room you're
0: walking in and <laughs> playing
2: this. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Um but I, I, I'm glad you guys uh, saw something unique in this.
1: Yeah, Ooh. for sure.
2: Uh, I have one quick thing before we go. Yeah okay so i just gotta tell you
1: this quick story uh so like i turned in my novel about like the terrifying end of the world type shit uh in february of 2020 and then of course march 2020 was the pandemic so we're all locked you know in lockdown i was living in la in like a shoebox of an apartment which was my first big boy apartment by myself so I was really excited about it when I moved in and then suddenly it's like oh my god there are no windows in here and I'm sitting in here alone for months on end right uh and so I couldn't listen to the news anymore because it was just too horrifying so I stopped listening to basically all of my podcasts uh even NBA podcasts which if you guys know me I can't live without basketball podcasts um and so weirdly I was like okay what in this huge list of things should I listen to while I take my, like, walk, my one walk, my, like, alone time outside or whatever. And so I started re-listening to Horror Movie Club. I dropped off uh, for a long time just because I couldn't keep up with the movies and I sort of forgot about it. Uh, But I so I started going back and then I found myself, like, watching movies so I could listen to you guys, you know, do your little jokes uh, in podcasts. And I just got to say, like, uh, what a – how thankful I am that, like, You guys ended up doing this project uh, because I spent so much time just like randomly listening to, you know, Predator podcast or Aliens or like whatever old movie and just really enjoying myself. And I just find you guys hilarious. Uh, And it was really like important thing for me to have in a moment that I really felt like I was going to have a fucking nervous breakdown. (laughs) So uh, I've kept up with it ever since. And I find myself just like scrolling through streamers to find movies that you've done so i can uh so i can watch them and finally listen to brian and Ashvin comment absurdly about uh this movie (laughs) or that movie so i just wanted to thank you and i'm a big fan of uh you know horror movie club
0: thanks man we appreciate it yeah it means a lot thanks a lot and uh thanks for your books man i I, my wife and i both we've read both pretty much at the same time ohio and And the deluge and that's been a really great shared experience for us too and just i've always considered myself a reader and i've fallen off in the past few years and it's both of your books have just like reawakened that in me and like inspired me to read again and it's just they're great books man i i I love them and it's not just because i know you they're just fabulous and really really in engrossing so i thank you for that as well and on that topic you have anything you want to uh, plug or encourage the the listeners to do regarding your books or any other projects you've got coming up?
1: Uh, no, you know I'm I'm just back to the drawing board. Uh, so by the deluge, by Ohio, uh, listen to Horror Movie Club.
0: Yeah, watch Only Murders in the Building. We loved that sure. show too. Got Steve Martin and Martin Short are just so charming. <laughs>
1: yeah, they're guess, not bad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Selena Gomez is pretty cool too. I think she's alright too.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, all right, cool. Well, I think that's our show, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this discussion on Skinner Uh If you did, go uh, give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Or if you hated the discussion but thought Steve was okay, go buy The Deluge <laughs> from a local bookstore. Uh, if you want to connect with us, go to horrormovieclub.com. We've got social links there for Discord, Facebook, Twitter facebook and twitter is where we announce what we're covering next week uh as well as instagram now we're on instagram as well as horror movie club podcast uh on horrormovieclub.com, there's a big orange button for patreon you can subscribe for a buck a month and get access to some bonus content there is an episode out there now on the crow which i forced ashwin to watch and he crushed my childhood dreams as we discussed that and (laughs) i think that's all we got so uh Yeah, go by the deluge, go by Ohio and until next time uh, if you wake up in the night and all the doors and windows in your house house are gone uh, I don't have any suggestions. I think you're just screwed at that point. Think hard about where you go pee or poop because whatever (laughs) it is, it could disappear. Maybe like a vessel inside of a vessel, like a bucket in a shower.
2: There you go. (laughs) Problem solved.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I've, (laughs) I've seen a lot of poops happen in the tub in my day and it always works out fine.
1: <laughs> like you or your kids, I'm, i That's that thing.
0: <laughs> this is where we end the show.